Lord, thank you for the eternal truth of your Holy Scripture. Help us hear your word. I pray in your holy name. Amen. All right, it's day four, and I'm redoing this episode because um, the first time I had a couple of things I just couldn't live with. I stumbled over too many words. I was disorganized in my point to ponder. And my beautiful, sweet kitty cat was kept demanding my attention and laying right on top of my Bible. <laughs> um, so we're going to try this again. And um, if you happen to hear something that sounds like a pen rolling across the table and falling to the floor, that's a pen rolling across the table and falling to the floor because my cat loves to do that when I'm busy and not paying attention to her. All right. So today um, has a lot of names in it. That's why I stumbled so many times before. I'm going to try to do better. Um, so we are looking at the Tower of Babel, which is very kind of interesting. And then the, the lineage from Noah all the way to Abram, who, spoiler alert, begins one of my favorite series of accounts in the Old Testament. Um, father to son, to his son, to his son, filled with amazing um, moments of God intervening and speaking and miracle working. It's, I love it. So that starts tomorrow. Don't go away. <laughs> All right, so here's today, day four, starting with um, the inside. Along with this account of Noah's own sin and that of his son, Ham, the Genesis record also shows mankind's continued decadence as it focuses upon the now regenerating human family in the plain of Shinar, an area more familiarly known as Babylon. Somewhere around 2500 BC, the people ambitiously decide to build a great city known as Babel, together with a tower so high that, in figurative terms, it will reach to the heavens. This is by no means the first city ever to be built, and the tower itself is probably designed in very similar fashion to the Babylonian ziggurat temples, the ruins of which will still be found centuries later. But God is displeased with these grandiose plans, apparently because the people's motive is characterized by a defiant and self-assertive self pride in rebellion against God. In light of this situation, God determines to remind mankind once again of their human limitations. Until this time, everyone has been part of one rapidly multiplying extended family, and therefore everyone has been speaking the same language. In order to break the self-willed strength found in this unity, God intervenes with his creative and divine power to confuse their language and to scatter mankind throughout the earth. It is the beginning not only of diverse languages, but also diverse peoples. For the first time, mankind is divided into clans, nations, and even various ethnic stocks. Although the Genesis record makes no specific reference in this regard, it is possible that this supernatural event also sets in motion the separation of human beings into different races. And the implication would be significant 
Despite the external differences, there is a commonness of background which compels brotherhood by creation and equality among all mankind, regardless of race, nation, or tongue. And now into Genesis 11. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As men moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, Come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the men were building. The Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. And now another inside insert. As mankind begins to disperse throughout the earth, families begin to divide into clans, and the clans develop <clears throat> into nations. The earliest known account of the geographical, national, and dialectical divisions among the human family is contained in the Genesis record. This tabulation begins with Shem, Ham, and Japheth, three generations before the great division at Babel. In this record, there is first of all a brief tracing of Japheth's seven sons and seven grandsons, particularly the descendants through Japheth's son, Javan whose people begin to spread north to the coastal areas of Caspian, Black, and Mediterranean seas. The reference to the Japhethites may be as brief as it is because these Indo-Europeans will be among the latest to develop and will have the least contact with the theocratic concerns of the Hebrew people, upon whom the biblical text will soon focus. The Table of Nations gives more attention to the descendants of Ham, perhaps because they will develop early and be founders of the first empires, and perhaps also because it is with these peoples that the Hebrew nation will have both its closest association and many of its conflicts. Ham's descendants will settle in the warmer climates of the southern portions of the earth and will populate the Egyptian, Canaanite, and Arabian nations. Of particular note among Ham's descendants is the great warrior Nimrod, who is the first leader of record to establish a monarchy. His rule over several tribes apparently comes through the power of conquest and not because he is their natural patriarchal head. It is Nimrod who establishes Babylon from the city of Babel in southern Mesopotamia and later the city of Nineveh further north in Assyria. Of great historical significance is the record of Ham's descendants through Canaan. Ham's son, upon whom Noah pronounced a curse, 
The land which will eventually be occupied by the Canaanites is known as the land of Canaan, or more modernly, Israel. Its original Canaanite inhabitants, including the Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites, will come into conflict with the descendants of Shem, principally those of the Hebrew nation. That conflict, bearing out the prophetic nature of Noah's curse on Canaan, will continue even to modern times. As for Shem's descendants, the table of nations concentrates on the lineage through Shem's son, Arphaxad. The principal reason, undoubtedly, lies in the theological significance of the descendant through Arphaxad, of the descent, sorry, through Arphaxad. It is through his branch of the Shemites that after eight generations, the father of the Hebrew nation, Abraham, will come. The Shemites, later to be known as Semites, will initially settle primarily in the region of Mesopotamia, between the Tigris and Euphrates rivers. From the earliest Semite descendants will eventually come the Syrians, Assyrians, Joktanite Arabs, and most importantly, the Hebrews. And back to scripture. This is the account of Shem, Ham, and Japheth, Noah's sons, who themselves had sons after the flood. The sons of Japheth, Gomer, Magog, Madai, Javan, Tubal, Meshech, and Tiras. The sons of Gomer, Ashkenaz, Riphath, and Togarma. The sons of Javan, Elisha, Tarshish, the Kittim, and the Rodanim. From these, the maritime peoples spread out into their territories by their clans within their nations, each with its own language. The sons of Ham, Cush, Mizraim, Put, and Canaan. The sons of Cush, Seba, Havila, Zapta, Rama, and Sapteka. The sons of Rama, Sheba, and Dedan. Cush was the father of Nimrod, who grew to be a mighty warrior on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. That is why it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. The first centers of his kingdom were Babylon, Erech, Akkad, and Kalneh in Shinar. From that land, he went to Assyria. There he built Nineveh, Rehoboth, Jir, Kala, and Rezin, which is between Nineveh and Kala. That is the great city. Mizraim was the father of the Ludites, Anamites, Lehabites, Naphtahites, Pathrusites, Kasluhites, from whom the Philistines came, and Kaphtorites. Canaan was the father of Sidon, his firstborn, and the Hittites, Jebusites, Amorites, Girgashites, Hevites, Archites, Sinites, Arvadites, Zemarites, and Hamathites. Later, the Canaan clans scattered and the borders of Canaan reached from Sidon toward Gerar as far as Gaza, and then toward Sodom, Gomorrah, Admah, and Zeboim as far as Lasha. These are the sons of Ham by their clans and languages in their territories and nations. Sons were also born to Shem, whose older brother was Japheth. Shem was the ancestor of all the sons of Eber, the sons of Shem. 
Elam, Ashur, Arphaxad, Lud, and Aram. The sons of Aram, Uz, Hul, Gether, and Meshech. Arphaxad was the father of Shelah, and Shelah the father of Eber. Two sons were born to Eber. One was named Peleg, because in his time the earth was divided. His brother was named Joktan. Joktan was the father of Almodad, Shelef, Hazarmaveth, Jera, Hadoram, Uzal, Dikla, Obal, Abimael, Sheba, Ophir, Havilah, and Jobab. All these were sons of Joktan. The region where they lived stretched from Mesha towards Sephar in the eastern hill country. These are the sons of Shem by their clans and languages in their territories and nations. These are the clans of Noah's sons according to their lines of descent within their nations. From these, the nations spread over the earth after the flood. A brief insight. Following this tabulation of the nations, the Genesis record falls mostly silent upon the earth's inhabitants except for the descendants of Shem through Arphaxad, Shelah, Eber, Peleg, and others down to Abram, who, known later as Abraham, will become the father of the Hebrews. This is the family of promise through whom God will preserve religion and moral truth. It will be through the Hebrew nation that God will ultimately speak to the whole world. Therefore, it is important for the Genesis record to trace Abram's history back to Shem, who, through his father, Noah, descends from the first man, Adam. This is the account of Shem, back to scripture. Two years after the flood, when Shem was a hundred years old, he became the father of Arphaxad. And after he became the father of Arphaxad, Shem lived 500 years and had other sons and daughters. When Arphaxad had lived 35 years, he became the father of Shelah. And after he became the father of Shelah, Arphaxad lived 403 years and had other sons and daughters. When Shelah had lived 30 years, he became the father of Eber. And after he became the father of Eber, Shelah lived 403 years and had other sons and daughters. When Eber had lived 34 years, he became the father of Peleg. And after he became the father of Peleg, Eber lived 430 years and had other sons and daughters. When Peleg had lived 30 years, he became the father of Reu. And after he became the father of Reu, Peleg lived nine, 209 years and had other sons and daughters. When Reu had lived 32 years, he became the father of Seruk. And after he became the father of Seruk, Reu lived 207 years and had other sons and daughters. When Seruk had lived 30 years, he became the father of Nehor. And after he became the father of Nehor, Seruk lived 200 years and had other sons and daughters. When Nehor had lived 29 years, he became the father of Terah. And after he became the father of Terah, Nehor lived 119 years and had other sons and daughters. After Terah had lived 70 years, he became the father of 
Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And an insight insert. It's interesting to observe in this account that there is a gradual decline in the longevity of Shem's descendants. Shem himself will live for 600 years, but by the time of Abram, the typical age at death is about 200. Also noteworthy is the fact that the first child is born much earlier than ever before. Except for Shem and Abram, most of the men in this lineage are in their 30s when their first son is born. The combined result of earlier longevity and now decreasing lifespans is that there are surprisingly few links in the chain from Adam to Abram. Adam lived even beyond Methuselah's birth, and Methuselah was still living when Shem was born. Assuming that Abram was not Terah's firstborn son, but, as other scripture seems to indicate, was born when Terah was 130 years old, Shem will predecease Abram by only 25 years. So the ties between Adam and Abram in the first 2,000 years from creation are indeed close ones. The Genesis record pauses briefly at this point to give a special account of Terah's family. Included in the account is an introduction to Abram's nephew, Lot, who will become a central character in events to follow. Equally significant is the fact that Abram's wife, Sarai, has not yet given birth to a child. Amidst a culture in which the woman's role in bearing children, especially sons, is of vital importance, Sarai's barrenness will take on increased significance. Of major importance at this point is the record of Terah's journey from Ur of the Chaldeans, located somewhere south of the lower Euphrates, to the city of Haran, some 600 miles north. Taking Abram, Sarai, and Lot, Terah sets out from Ur toward the land of Canaan by the route of the Fertile Crescent, which would bypass the Arabian desert. Why Terah leaves Ur is a matter of some speculation as far as the Genesis record is concerned. Later scripture will provide a more complete answer when it records that Abram and presumably Terah were directed by God to leave Ur for a land that God would show them. Therefore, this account of Terah and his journey to Haran is important in that it sets the stage for an even more significant journey for Abram in fulfilling the purpose that God has in mind. Back to scripture for a second. This is the account of Terah. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran became the father of Lot. While his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans in the land of his birth. Abram and Nahor both married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren. She had no children. Terah took his son, Abram, his grandson, Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law, Sarai, the wife of his son, Abram. And together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years, and he died in Haran. And a, a quick insight. Although there is no scriptural reference to Job during this period of time, 
There is compelling evidence to believe that an important historical figure named Job should be included here among the ancients. His home is in the land of Uz, which is probably in the northern Arabian desert, in a territory which will come to be known as Edom, or Idumea. Job is unusually blessed with, his, with prosperity and holds his family very dear to him. Above all things, Job is a righteous man, esteemed among his peers and even those who serve him. However, disaster strikes Job when all his flocks, herds, and possessions are taken from him through a series of adversities. Even worse, all his children are killed, and he himself is stricken with a terrible, painful disease. Although he questions why such disaster should beset him, Job nevertheless maintains his faith in God. As a result, his wealth is restored to double its original worth. More children are born to him, and he dies a happy man. The story of his great faith and of his apparently successful struggle with the reason for his suffering will be handed down over the generations to come. Several centuries later, at a time when a whole nation will be struggling with the problem of suffering, Job's life will become the basis for a literary masterpiece dealing with suffering and the issue of its, of its causes. Little does this humble man know how his very personal adversity will be a source of comfort to multitudes of fellow sufferers for centuries to come. That fact alone might well have something to do with why he is called upon to experience such adversity. The book of Job will be presented later at the time of its writing. And that's day four. So for um, a couple of points to ponder, I'm going back to Babel. And I thought it was interesting that it says, the Lord came down to look around and see what was going on not just up in the high heavens looking down he actually came down to see the tower and to experience what was going on and then he said let us go down and confuse their language Impl implying that god is not singular i love that those little words can imply the the Trinity, the triune Godhead. So he's not just, he didn't just say, let me go down. He said, let us go down. I like that. I thought that was pretty cool. Also, oh, whoops, wait a minute. That goes into tomorrow. Sorry. So I was going to give a little um, teaser, but I think I did that earlier. So tomorrow is going to be um, the beginning of m one of my favorite string of events um, in the Old Testament. So don't forget to tune in and we'll see you tomorrow.